Great uh, afternoon. Thanks for joining us. This is uh, Kirk Matern with Evercore ISI. Uh, I run the software team at ISI. So we're very pleased to have uh, the president and CEO of Salesforce with us this afternoon, Brett Taylor. Brett, thanks uh, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to you and, and, and a lot to talk about. So uh, we're going to talk for about 35, 40 minutes, uh, do a fireside chat, and then we're going to, uh, I'll take some Q&A. There's a Q&A uh, prompt at the bottom of your screen. If you want to ask, or if you want me to ask Brett a question on your behalf, please feel free to send it along. And I'll try to weave those uh, questions in uh, throughout the conversation. So uh, Brett, again, thanks for, for doing this. Uh, I know you're busy, so uh, you know, appreciate you taking some time. You know, I guess just to start, you, know, you guys had a really nice earnings uh, call a couple weeks ago. You know, one of the things that was interesting was, you know, I think Mark probably used the word reimagine maybe five or six times on the, on the call. And, you know, one of the things I, I sort of talked with people about was like, well, how do you reimagine a $20 billion business, right? It's not like you can just stop everything and rebuild it from scratch. But, you know, I think there's some things that have happened over the last year that you all have taken advantage of COVID to reposition yourself uh, for the next, you know, decade, five, 10 years for Salesforce. So, can you just talk about what that means in, in your mind and maybe an example or two of where you've been able to use COVID as a way to rethink you know, business processes, whether in R&D or sales, that, that you think put you in a better position maybe today than where you were uh, 12 months ago? Yeah, Kirk, it's a great question because you know, I don't think any of our customers imagined that they would stop everything, start working from home, reimagine how they operate their company last year. But Literally every white collar workforce in the world did that last year. Um, and so it was interesting. I, I, I can't say without a pandemic, would we and would have all of our customers gone through this transformation? Almost certainly not. Uh, but we did transform ourselves. And, you know, we've been using this phrase, the all digital work anywhere world. Uh, that's kind of our vision for uh, what emerges on the other side of this pandemic. And it's it's pretty simple. It's just because the habits that we've learned in this pandemic aren't just going to go away. Uh, consumer habits like all of us who have used DoorDash or grocery delivery, you know, or uh, I, for example, first got to use telemedicine. I got a Zoom doctor appointment for the first time, like many of us in this pandemic. Those are all going to remain. But then if you look inside our companies and just how we operate, you know, our salespeople aren't going to all get on airplanes, go meet with customers in every customer meeting. Why is that? It's not just because we're trying to lower our travel and entertainment expenses, and that's a great, you know, side benefit. It's because you can get on a Zoom much faster, much more conveniently. You don't need to schedule, uh, you know, to all be in the same place at the same time. Uh, we actually observe that you can also call higher. Uh, it's much easier to get a CEO on a Zoom than it is to figure out when you're both in the same uh, same city at the same time. Uh, you know, Gavin talked about something on the earnings call I thought was notable. You know, we did a digital sales kickoff this time. We didn't all go to Vegas like sales teams have done for uh, apparently decades. Um, and as a consequence, uh, we got everyone enabled on our new value proposition for customer 360 faster. And we got a couple more weeks of selling time. Uh, you know, on our engineering, uh, as you mentioned, sort of R&D, uh, we actually have, you know, materially more check-ins per engineer. Uh, and it's because people are spending less time in meetings. And it kind of, you reflect, hey, why do we have so many meetings before? And I think in many ways, when you're thinking about the disruption of the pandemic, it's saying, how do we use this as an opportunity to transform our culture for the positive? How do we make sure we don't snap back on the other side of this? And, you know, as Mark mentioned on the earnings call, 
Amy Weaver, our new CFO, is really trying to reimagine our operating model and saying, you know, what is our future of our real estate? What is our future of our travel entertainment? What is the future of our culture? Making sure that we don't end up with permanent Zoom fatigue like we all right. feel now, but saying we can be a stronger company on the other side of this. And before passing it back to you, I think one of the most exciting parts for me is this is also what we're selling to our customers. You know, we have a digital sales solution, digital customer service, digital marketing, digital commerce. And so we're trying to live the future and then sell that vision to our customers who are all going through the same uh, somewhat awkwardly fast digital transformation, I think a decade's worth of digital transformation in one year. So it's a great opportunity for us, but I think in a broader way, a great opportunity for us to demonstrate to our customers how to transform themselves. Yeah, let's let's keep on maybe that that thread in terms of you know, the discussions with customers. You know, how have they changed? I mean, digital transformation wasn't exactly new before COVID. We've been talking about this pre-COVID. It was clearly put on steroids or accelerated or however you want to frame it. You know, how have the conversations changed? I guess in terms of maybe urgency and or depth, meaning people are trying to move faster, but are they taking on more products at the same time? Are they taking on bigger projects? Because I mean, as you know transforming an enterprise is a little bit more of an evolution than a revolution technologically. So, you know, maybe how has that changed? Maybe if you look back a year and a half ago, if you were talking to the CEO of a company, you know, his willingness to take on maybe more products at a time or, you know, sort of a, a bigger shot at goal, you know, upfront on a land versus sort of doing a more normal land and expand. All right, sort of, I, I ask a few things in there, but- No, uh, no, that's great. They're all, they're all related, as you imply. So I'll give a couple of examples that I think are representative and then get to some of your questions about kind of big deals and multi-cloud deals, which was a topic on the call. You know, I think a great example of this was Honeywell. This has been a long-standing uh, customer of Salesforce, and yeah, they've been manufacturing product for 100 years. They shifted 7,000 sales reps to virtual customer meetings, uh, big sales cloud uh, transformation. Um, and it's a really great example of a company that's been a customer of products for a long time, really using the digitization of the economy as an opportunity to reimagine their own Salesforce implementation, expand with us, um, really do more with it. Um, you know, similarly, 3M, uh, this is a great example of speed, which is one of the themes you brought up. Uh, they uh, make a lot of the personal protective equipment that first responders and others use all around the world. Um, they had a huge problem with counterfeiting uh, early on. So they used our service cloud to spin up a fraud reporting center, found thousands of scammers, and they did it in less than 48 hours. Um, and what's really interesting about those stories, you know, that's a moment in time, you know, the, the, the fraud around personal protective equipment. But that is a testament to the, sort of the speed and agility and time to value of the Salesforce platform that's now really shifting the conversation with our customers about, you know, the importance of investing in Salesforce as a platform, the agility that you get. And as you mentioned, digital transformation is no longer the job of the CIO or the chief digital officer. It's a CEO and board level discussion, whether it's a bank who saw, you know, the PPE loans, uh, PPP loans process and how quickly you had to stand up those portals uh, or, uh, you know, a retailer that needed to implement curbside pickup uh, overnight. Um, I think now I think every uh, board and every C-suite is looking at their technology platforms and say, I want the agility for the next disruption to our business. So I think it really accelerated uh, investment in digital. And you really saw it in our Q1 numbers. Um, I think Probably the most prominent example of this is seven-figure transactions um, grew over 120% year over year in Q1. And um, 
as you sort of alluded to, those seven-figure transactions included more than four of our clouds on average. So this isn't you know, a transformation of one department. It's really a full customer 360. Um, and I think you know, Mark made a statement on the earnings call that I firmly believe is true. This isn't about digital transformation. It's about digital customer transformation. Uh, because when you're thinking about coming out of a pandemic, such a challenging economically, individually, and for a lot of companies around the world, everyone's thinking about growth right now. And that's really about changing your customer experience, digitizing, and our customer 360 platform is really at the center of that conversation. Yeah. And when you think about customer 360, it, you know, so you know, for a long time, it's been more of a point product world where people might be solving marketing with the technology, customer service with the technology. But clearly, the lines are blurring. And, and do you think you're, you know, it, it, can you talk about sort of the integration on the back end and maybe Hyperforce as it relates to sort of bringing to bear, you know, a platform that's more integrated and the ability to have those sort of more suite-based discussions or, or frankly, solution-based discussions with your customers versus, you know, approaching it more on a, hey, marketing's doing its own thing, services doing its own thing. I mean, that doesn't seem to be a practical solution anymore and mm -hmm. where we're going. Yeah, I mean, it's a, what's interesting about this is it's a technology problem, as you describe, and, and I'll answer your question, but it's really driven by our customers. You know, they don't want point solutions anymore uh, because if you have a customer service interaction because you call someone up and then get a promotional email from the marketing department that's tone deaf, at this day and age, your expectations have been raised so high by all the consumer companies that do this so well, that's no longer acceptable anymore. And you no longer get a pass um, for that. And, you know, when you look at the transformations we've done with, you know, companies like AT&T, it's really around that idea of a customer 360, um, really the end-to-end -end customer experience, every touch point, whether, you know, you're calling a call center, chatting with a chatbot, getting an email, digitally transacting, talking to a salesperson, we're the one platform that can do it all. And that's really our value proposition. As you alluded to, though, you know, we've grown organically and we've done acquisitions. So we've really spent a lot of the time investing in the integration of our platform at Dreamforce last year, we announced Hyperforce, which is a really big, uh, I think, technology achievement for us. We uh, ported our platform to the public cloud, and we kind of reimagined both the scalability and trust of our platform. So we can now deploy in more regions. Uh, we're deploying in over 12 uh, regions around the world this year um, to handle things like data residency requirements. We've built a lot of our compliance and trust built in, uh, which means even the most uh, compliance forward industries can actually use this technology. Many of them haven't had access to it because of the rigid requirements of industries like financial services, public sector. I think we're really proud of that. And more than anything, it also is B2C scale. Uh, you know, so uh, I joke with Parker back when he first wrote Salesforce, it was, you know, salespeople manually entering data into a form and a web page. That's not the way a CRM works anymore. It's big data, it's streaming data, it's internet of things. And so we really tried to reimagine our platform around data and, you know, extremely large hyperscale data because um, we really think that's the future of customer 360 and CRM. So really proud of our engineering team uh, to really work on this integration problem. And also uh, really excited about this next generation of our platform that I think really represents where the puck is going in CRM. Yeah. And maybe along those lines, you know, talk about Slack as, as part of that. Um, you know, obviously, you know, having a collaboration platform that pulls some of this together. That I think there's a data element to it on the back end that you know I think is important maybe in the over the longer term as well. So you just talk about how Slack fits into that because I think there still is some 
yeah, I think misunderstanding that about it relative just as a collaboration platform unto itself, which it's a very good one. But you know, I think Slack Plus uh, customer 360 is obviously you know one and one equals three uh, scenario for you all. And, and actually, Stuart and I've been saying one plus one equals seven. So even yeah, more. Uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited about Slack. I mean, I can't, in my mind, this pandemic was defined by really two technology brands, Zoom and Slack. You know, our lives are just running through these digital technologies right now. And it's just more relevant to our customer base than ever before. It goes back to our first question, which is, what is the future of the way you engage with your fellow employees, with your partners and with your customers? Uh, And You know, I can't predict the future perfectly right now. We're in this uh, kind of unprecedented period coming out of a global pandemic. Um, But I can tell you it's going to be much more digital than ever before. And it comes up in every single customer conversation just about this future of work, you know, this all digital work anywhere world. And when I think about what does it mean to be able to grow on the other side of this pandemic, it's customer 360 and it's the digital collaboration tool and Slack. And it's particularly those two things together. So think about a B2B sales team running on sales cloud. They have a mandate maybe from their head of sales, maybe from their CFO saying, you're not going to get us on as many airplanes anymore. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, you're going to use these tools to collaborate digitally with your customer. Well, you look at tools like Slack Connect, which is their capability to create a channel, not just for internal use, but actually for use with your customers and partners. You can create a deal room to close your deals, connect Salesforce, connect DocuSign, get those deals closed. Quarters close on Slack, and it's an amazing capability when you're thinking about the future of digital sales. Similarly, I've talked to so many heads of customer service who have, through the pandemic, their call center is no longer a building. It's just in the cloud, and they're not going to go back from that either. So how do you swarm on cases to get fast time to resolution to drive all those key metrics around customer satisfaction? Slack plus Service Cloud is an amazing ability to do that. And if you go to any digital agency, I can tell you they run Cyber Week on Slack. Just, you know, and go see how they do it. They've connected every single MarTech tool, and there's like a trillion of them because it's MarTech. They've all connected to Slack, and it's their digital command center for Cyber Week. So when I look at the two together, you know, I really say that Slack with Customer 360 is an amazing capability for our customers to help them succeed and grow on the other side of this pandemic. And for Slack, you know, what's been so remarkable about what Stuart and Cal and team have built um, is just how beloved it is. And so I view when I say one plus one equals seven, you know, I think we, through the vision I just described, can introduce Slack to a large number of customers and they'll fall in love with it and it will spread to so many departments around those companies. And so I think that's a really remarkable combination of our strengths and our strengths serving our lines of business uh, and really serving that front office growth for our customers. They will introduce Slack in a really, uh, I think, really interesting and complementary way to our customers. And then I think it would really makes our value proposition more relevant than ever before, but more importantly, helps our customers. And the last thing I'll mention, I think you mentioned sort of misunderstanding Slack. I think it's just much more of a platform than people realize. You know, they have just, you know, millions of developers using this thing, so many amazing apps, and we're really excited to create the most open ecosystem in this space. Uh, and I, th- I love the idea of bringing together our ecosystem and Slacks, and I think it'd be an amazing capability for every company and every developer in the world as well. Yeah, there's a lot of really valuable data captured in those Slack channels. And can you talk about how that, plus maybe the data captured in Salesforce 360 already, 
you know, being able to apply algorithms to that data to make better decisions on customer outcomes, things like that. I realize that might be more of a two year down the road kind of thing, but you know, there, it seems like there's a big opportunity on that front to keep really moving the, the, the goalposts, frankly, in terms of what does a customer's 360 platform allow you to do, meaning being more predictive and analytical rather than sort of responsive and reactive. I, I mean, is that a fair, I guess, um, way of putting kind of where, where you see the vision going on those two things together? 100%. I almost couldn't be, uh, put it better than you just put it, but I'll, I'll back it up with some stats, actually. So um, in April, we saw Einstein eclipsing over 100 billion uh, predictions per day, um, which is incredible. And if you, we've been sort of uh, releasing that metric periodically um, uh, just to sort of demonstrate how much momentum we're seeing in our AI platform. And the reason why it's accelerated so much this year is because of the move to digital. So when you know your conversation goes from around a conference room table to in Slack or in Zoom, and you know your partners uh, start working through a portal rather than calling you up on a phone, the artifact of all those interactions is data. And as you said, it really affords the opportunity for systems like Customer 360 to be more predictive and more intelligent. Uh, you know, it'll help a customer service agent find the next best action, uh, help you in your return from the office to summarize what uh, what went on so you can actually catch up from the sort of drowning and all that digital data. But more than anything, and, and it's in part why we were so excited about Tableau and why we're so excited about investing in Einstein is you can actually help you see and understand all that data. I've talked to so many CEOs who, you know, have a really good data strategy and really understand that, especially with uh, all the changes to technology platforms and browsers that the future is really in first party data. They have all this data, but they're not getting the value from it. And I think that's the hard part. And that's why we're so invested in Einstein and Tableau. Uh, we really think if we can come with a solution that not only helps you, you know, automate and build digital customer experiences, but help every person at your company see and understand the data to really become you know, a data first culture. Um, that's really the future of companies that will succeed in this digital economy. So it's a huge area of focus for us. We're really excited about the multi-year technology investments we made in Einstein that are really bearing fruit right now. And I do think that with the whole economy going digital, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, you guys obviously put up really strong results in Tableau last quarter. Do you think that's just an outcome of what you're talking about, which is that executives now, they might have the data, but they're, they're finally at the point where they want to see it and be able to visualize it more clearly. It's it's funny because we've been talking about it for a while, but you know maybe this is another one of those outcomes of COVID where it's you know people are like, look, I got to make faster, better decisions. I need to understand it and see it more clearly than getting it through a spreadsheet. So, I mean, it seems like those two things are actually creating an output in the Tableau growth that that was obviously really strong last quarter. Yeah, I mean, so every digital transformation is a data transformation. That's the that's the simplest way to put it, you know, because every input and output of a digital interaction is data. And so it really means that you can do more with it. And in fact, I think the value proposition of Tableau, which I've always loved, is really about creating a data culture at companies. So people aren't acting from intuition or acting because that's the way we always did it. Yeah. They're actually looking at data visualization, making informed decisions. And I think Tableau really enables companies to operationalize that, um, to really connect all their data, not just the data from Salesforce, but all their enterprise data. And I think that's a really powerful concept. I also think it speaks, though, you know, to our ability to integrate acquisitions, which I think is unparalleled in the software industry. Um, and you know, we have been acquisitive, uh, but we 
we have realized the synergies, you know, and I think you saw in the MuleSoft numbers, you see it in the Tableau numbers, eight of our top 10 deals uh, included Tableau and five of our top 10 deals included MuleSoft. And I think that, you know, as you look at opportunities like uh, Slack, uh, when that eventually closes, I think we do, um, we are really competent at bringing these technology platforms together in a way that really benefits our customers. And, and I think you see it in the, the momentum in the numbers. Yeah, uh, you all have obviously built out a very broad you know, platform of technologies. One of the things that you know is going on at the same time is that you're obviously sort of verticalizing some of these solutions you know, to go after sort of that last mile business process on an industry by industry basis. So can you just talk about, obviously David came over with the Velocity deal. You know, he's obviously in charge of products now. Kind of how do you think about that? Because it's an interesting, you're building out obviously more of a horizontal platform. Yeah, but to really create business change, you have to understand the industry to a certain degree and be able to address, you know, the industry's challenges or understand that, you know, you know, speak the language of the industry. Um, so can you just talk about what, what we should be expecting from you all on, on sort of the vertical front and, and how's that going thus far? Because it, it seems to be going pretty well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's such an important part of our product strategy. Um, we now have over 10 industry verticals built on our platform. And the value proposition for customers is so simple. It's, you know, rather than you doing this yourself, we build it out of the box. So industry-specific business processes, industry best practices, whether it's things like, you know, uh, best-in-class things around trade promotion management for consumer goods or, you know, helping really realize for banks around the world a vision for unified banking so you can bring together your consumer, your commercial, your investment banks and really provide that single view of your customer as you're trying to grow across, you know, different what used to be silos in your business. And, you know, I think what's really great about David Schmeier, he mentioned, who's the CEO of Velocity, um, I, it's sort of, uh, I, I joke that I think he's forgotten more about CRM than I know. He's been in this industry for a long time. He was a head of product at Siebel. Um, he's really bringing that industry first mindset. Um, and I, I think it's going to grow in importance over time. Uh, you know, I think it means faster time to value for our customers. And it's also what our customers want from us, because when they're thinking about their customer experience, it's not a general purpose. You know, they don't want a bunch of wood from Home Depot and say, build a house. You know, they want us to start them uh, on third base so they can get going quickly. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we've really architected this in the right way. Um, we have a really wonderful, robust platform that's, I think, the best-in-class low-code platform in the industry. Uh, we've built best-in-class line of business applications and sales and service and marketing and commerce on top of that. And then our industry solutions are built on top of that. So our industry customers get all the value of all the layers of the platform underneath. And then similarly, as our customers are sort of customizing this themselves, they get so much depth because of that sort of layered investment. So I think it's really unique in the marketplace. I'm very grateful for David's leadership as well. Um, and I think we'll continue to really expand that industry footprint um, and respond to our customers' needs. That makes tons of sense. Um, talk to us about where sort of the, the international markets are maybe relative to the U.S. in terms of just maturation. You know, are you seeing different patterns of adoption internationally or, you know, versus what you see in the U.S.? I, I realize every country perhaps is a little bit different. You have industry champions in certain markets in Europe, for example. But you know, where do you, obviously, when we look at Salesforce, we look at the size of you, you know, international still in the 30s as a percentage of revenue, which, it was unheard of for scaled software companies five years ago. If you were at $20 billion, you already had 50% had to be coming from international because yeah, you just had to get, you know, get the revenue somewhere. So it still seems like there's huge opportunities for you internationally. And, and how should we think about, you know, the opportunities for you all over the next you know, couple of years? 
Yeah, so it's um, the keys to our growth have been international expansion, industry verticals, uh, you know, and I think that really continues and we really see uh, a lot of opportunity for growth in both of those kind of areas of strategic investment. Um, and we're seeing just incredible momentum internationally. Um, and we're also seeing incredible momentum in the public sector as well um, that have really, I think, been fueling um, fueling our growth. And, you know, I think we have a really focused um, international effort, you know, focusing on, uh, you know, the, t the countries where we have really large enterprise software markets. And Gavin Patterson is, uh, who's our, uh, I guess I shouldn't call him new anymore, but new as of this past year, Chief Revenue Officer has just done a great job uh, bringing in great leadership um, to lead uh, internationally and just have those executive engagements with the most important companies in Europe and in APAC um, and and all around the world. Um, so I feel really good about our international strategy. As you said, uh, we're still uh, you know uh, a majority U.S., but I think that reflects the momentum we see across the marketplace. Not in any way diminishing the momentum we see internationally. I still think that will be a huge driver of our growth in, in future years. And I assume all the trends, though, you see around digital transformation, you know, they're, they're global in nature, right? I mean, a B2C oh, company. Really Europe's, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no change in the challenge. It's just how fast they can adopt, adapt to it or how fast they can embrace the technologies. I guess, are there any governors on growth internationally or is it just sort of, you know, maybe 10 years ago was sort of data residency and things like that it used to be something that would pop up, but those seem to be solved essentially through a lot of your partnerships now. So any, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any governors on international growth. It's just a matter no, of- No, I, th I think the trend towards the digital imperative is universal across industries, uh, across countries all around the world. The one interesting thing is this pandemic is uneven around the world. So as the U.S. reopens and caseloads are- uh, just plummeting, which is I'm so grateful for uh, all of the scientists who invented these vaccines. Uh, you know, we our colleagues in India and Brazil and Asia are going through really, really hard times right now. So um, I do think, but your broader question, you know, uh, the broader digital transformation of the economy has happened globally. Um, and the, as you mentioned, I think we are best in class as it relates to things like data residency and compliance around the world. So I don't believe there's any limit to, to our potential to grow internationally. Yeah. Um, you know, Mark yesterday, I think, was in, in, out in public talking about sort of 50, 60 percent of your employees being more remote as you come out of this. Um, how do you see that as an opportunity? We, obviously, the challenge, I think, for everybody is you know, how do you keep maintaining what is a really unique culture uh, as you go through that? But, you know, as you think about it from an operational perspective, you know, are there opportunities for you to go get talent and geographies where you weren't able to because you didn't, it never made sense to have a regional office in a certain state or location. I guess, what are the opportunities on that front? I realize hopefully real estate savings maybe is one of them downstream. And I think Amy would agree with that, but you know, maybe I was thinking more from an operational perspective. Uh, you know, have yeah. you given that much thought? I realize this is still sort of in, in, in real time. Uh, we've given it so much thought. I mean, I think it's all we want to talk about because it's such an <laughs> exciting transformation. Um, first, I'll start with what you start with the sort of, uh, I'll call it boring, but really important. You know, I do think because we're reimagining the way the company operates, we're trying to get more disciplined, you know, and really recognize that we can get the kind of top line revenue growth that we're known for, continue to do that, but get more profitable over time and really put more discipline in the business. And Amy's been just an amazing leader on that front. And I do think this is an opportunity to get more disciplined and we're excited for it uh, because we think we can get stronger and more disciplined at the same time. But the second thing is that the, that second point, I think we can get stronger and we're so excited about it. Just as I'll just give some examples. 
Dreamforce last year was digital only. Um, we had over 140 million people watched online, 140 million. I mean, it's crazy. I don't think there's been a software event that achieved that level before. Maybe I'm wrong. And, you know, so we're talking about we're really excited to have Dreamforce uh, in person this year with 5,000 um, trailblazers in San Francisco, in uh, London, um, and in uh, Paris and New York. Um, that's going to be really exciting for the small number of people who can make it. But I don't want to go backwards. I want to make sure that we continue to have this amazing digital experience where we can reach that kind of audience with our value proposition to inspire people with the stories about how to become a trailblazer and benefit from this sort of uh, investment in technology. Similarly, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, our first uh, sort of question, we were talking about all the things that I think we've really invested in sort of a cultural change around digital customer engagements, the digital exploit experience. Um, I do think we can uh, find more talent from more places, not just, you know, engineers in San Francisco and salespeople in New York. I think it really enables us to find success from anywhere. Um, and I think that's an incredible opportunity. So uh, we really believe we've become a, a stronger company um, in this pandemic. And as I said, I think we're really trying to think of it in a broader way, which is how can we learn ourselves and become a stronger company, but also um, with customer 360. And once the transaction closes with Slack and customer 360, help our customers find success from anywhere. Um, because we're in this, uh, I couldn't imagine a moment like this where every company in the world is saying, what is our office strategy going to be for the next decade? I mean, literally every company in the world is doing this at the same time. And it's a crazy moment in history that I'm grateful to be a part of. And I think we really have a unique opportunity to be a kind of a trusted digital advisor to companies going through that transformation. Yeah. Um, you know, you're always, you're always thinking ahead on a number of fronts. And one of the questions that's been coming up more often is, you know, when you're rethinking things, uh, rethinking traditional pricing models uh, in terms of per user versus consumptive based pricing models are starting to almost blur. And, you know, how do you think about that with you all? I mean, historically, the CRM side has always been more of a per user pricing model, but you now have more consumptive type of models like a mule soft or something like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, the customer wants to buy a product that delivers value. So, you know, how are you thinking about sort of meeting the customer where they are on that or helping them along? I mean, I imagine for Gavin, this creates a lot of more nuanced conversations perhaps with your biggest partners. You know, how should we think about, you know, I imagine at the end of the day, you all will be flexible, do what's best for the customer because you always have. Uh, but but can you just put add maybe some color around that or some context around that? Because I, I think it's an interesting question for software companies being able to understand both ends of that and be able to address both ends of it, I, I think is an advantage for the companies that can can do that. Yeah, I mean, the word you use that really resonates is value. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, our customers, when they're investing in a technology platform, how it's packaged is meaningful, but what really matters is did they get the value out of it that yeah. they expected when they made the investment. Um, and across our portfolio, we have a variety of different pricing models. So as you said, our core CRM is seat-based, our um, uh, the engagement platform in our marketing cloud is volume based for the emails and text messages you send. Our, our commerce cloud is actually based on a percentage of GMV or gross merchandising volume that goes through the system. So, you know, when you think about a customer 360 engagement, um, it's really a variety of different pricing and packaging models. But at the end of the day, what we're really trying to deliver to our customers is a return on their investment. Uh, and we want to return on their investment fast. Uh, and I think that 
you know, when we, you've heard, I think us on our earnings call really talk about sort of this accountability towards our customers delivering these outcomes as fast as possible. I love the AT&T story Mark has recounted a number of times because it's not just the transformation, but it's, we did it quickly. And, you know, in a time when I think there's so much urgency around these business model shifts. I mean, think about it being a consumer goods company going direct to consumer, like you need the transformation yesterday. Um, and so I think that I, I don't want to diminish the pricing and packaging discussions. I think the way we think about it, though, is when I go call up the CEO or CIO of one of our customers and I say, did you get the value expected from this investment faster than you expected it? I want them to say yes. And if we achieve that, uh, I'll be happy. And I think our pricing and packaging will always reflect that outcome, but no pricing and packaging will fix just our relentless focus on customer success. And I think that's fundamentally what our customers are buying from us. And the bill of materials is sort of secondary to that. Yeah, no, that makes that makes tons of sense. Um, one other industry I actually just want to touch upon because it's a big opportunity and one you've been growing pretty quickly is just federal and then state and local government, obviously. Uh, probably the the areas that are maybe moving the slowest to digital, but need to speed it up, or have been under the most pressure to to move. You know, how how's it been going in those areas for you all? I realized for a long time, you know, Service Cloud was kind of the first natural landing point in terms of sort of reaching out to citizens. Uh, obviously, COVID's brought in some other you know, opportunity or not, but you've helped them uh, solve some problems, frankly, more is probably the better way of putting it. You know, where where do you think state and local, and maybe you know, look federal across the globe are from a digital transformation perspective, and you feel like you have that same sort of trusted advisor status in those verticals that you do in a lot of the commercial verticals? Yeah, it's been an incredible transformative year for public sector in my mind. We just had a phenomenal quarter. Five of our top 10 industry deals were in the public sector. Um, We had an amazing engagement with the Department of Veterans Affairs, North Carolina's Department of Transportation. And it's interesting, it's our platform, it's service cloud, but it's also new capabilities like contact tracing, vaccine management. Um, and, you know, it's I, in my mind, these uh, engagements have been driven by the urgency of the pandemic, obviously, and the public health imperative in the public sector. Um, but it's also driving this broad digitization of our of the public sector, you know, and really thinking about constituent engagement in a more strategic, enduring way. So I think it's resulted in our uh, our ability to expand our relationships with uh, so many state and local governments and and federal governments all around the world. Uh, but I think it will also be, I think, a real starting point for these broad digital transformation, constituent engagement efforts. I think every single municipality around the world really wants to kick off right now. So um, it's just been incredibly gro- uh, rewarding. Um, the stat that I think is more impressive than any of our financial numbers, 60 million vaccines have been delivered to the Salesforce platform, um, which is really amazing. And I, I obviously was not an expert in vaccine management or contact tracing a year ago. And we feel really proud of the agility with which we've delivered these solutions to our public sector customers this year. And I think, you know, what's really standing out, I brought up uh, kind of the the speed theme a lot in this conversation. Yep. It's true in the public sector as well. You know, they see that we were able to stand up vaccine management, you know, in a matter of weeks, not months. They see the contact tracing. They can see it's all powered by the Salesforce platform. And so as our public sector partners are looking forward and saying, what are the platforms we want to align ourselves with to remain digital and agile on the other side of this? I really think and I really hope that we're really gaining trust and sort of the scalability and agility of our platform through these engagements, which are obviously a, a moment in time unto themselves. 
that's that's really helpful. Uh, and one question came in through email was just around you know when you think about M and A, you know, what are sort of the the decisions on the buy versus build? Uh, obviously, you've had some incredible buys in MuleSoft, Tableau, and and then now Slack's obviously about to close. You know, when you look at that from a product build perspective, you know, what are some of the criteria you get that goes through your mind? I guess is, is sort of the, the gist of the question. Yeah, I'd say there's probably two um, uh, major categories as we think about um, inorganic additions to our portfolio. Um, you know, one would be uh, within our clouds, you know, adding functionality, particularly from a partner that's already been built on our app exchange. Mm -hmm. um, so um, a great example of this, uh, you know, would be uh, Steelbrick from a number of years ago, which became our quote to cash platform. Um, it's one of those things where we don't want to compete with our partners. So we have an amazing partner that's built on our app exchange. And strategically, uh, we feel like we could actually integrate the product in a more complete way for our customers if it weren't uh, a third party company. Uh, we'll always try to, um, you know, acquire rather than compete with a partner that's invested their time and effort in our app exchange. The second way is uh, sort of a new cloud, the, the mule sauce, the tableaus um, and, uh, and the slacks. And that's really where we're listening to our customers and realizing that there's an adjacency to our current product portfolio that, you know, as you put it, one plus one could equal three or in Slack's case, maybe seven. Yeah. Um, and where we really feel like that we could provide a more complete value proposition to our customers that we couldn't as a standalone company. I'll use Millsoft as an example. We talked about Tableau for a little bit already. You know, MuleSoft is an API-first integration platform, uh, and it really enables you to connect all your enterprise systems, all your legacy systems, so that you can actually move faster for all of your digital transformation efforts. That was typically, you know, a type of technology that was chosen after a project like Salesforce. Okay, so you want to deploy Sales Cloud, you want to uh, connect it to your ERP system, let's figure out a solution to do it. We can now go into customer engagements and say, we actually have built-in integration as a value proposition in our platform. And for the CIOs and the CEOs in the room, that's a much more complete, much more robust value proposition than they were independently because we're solving a lot of problems for them out of the box. And so I think there's an incredible opportunity um, to do that um, with Slack. We're really excited about that opportunity. And I think we've really proven our ability to do it with Tableau and MuleSoft as well. Um, there's actually a follow-up that just came in across the uh, the web and it sort of follows up on this. Does the regulatory environment change your calculus at all in terms of m and you know, It hasn't necessarily been as much of a focus in the enterprise world as I think it has been in the consumer tech world. And obviously I know you have a lot of heritage in that, in that side of the world. Um, does that factor in? I, 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 you know, I don't want it to be a leading question, but I was just kind of curious is that something that you all have to think about at all, or do you feel like most of the things you would look at, you know, wouldn't would you know wouldn't kind of uh, you know uh, garner attention from the regulators along those lines? Well, I'll I'll start with sort of uh, there's I'm not sure the question was sort of M and A focused or more broadly. I'll answer both. Yeah, um, on the M and A front, you know, we don't we really think about value to our customers um, as our number one uh, driving force. So that's that's really that all that drives our our. M&A strategy. And then obviously, you know, tactically, can we execute on this transaction and yeah. deliver on the returns that we uh, we talk to all of our stakeholders about? Um, I do think there's a, you know, outside of M&A, there is a lot of shifts in privacy regulation, days of residency requirements. Yeah, there's, uh, and it's really impacting sort of our technology investments, technologies like Hyperforce, uh, technologies like our customer data platform and our marketing cloud, which is 
really emphasizing first party data with all the changes to privacy regulations. So I'd say broadly, there's just a, a, a proliferation of regulation around technology related to privacy, data residency, compliance. Um, and I think that that's one of our assets right now is that we are really investing in our platform to meet those needs uh, internationally. Um, and for especially multinationals that have to meet those requirements and a sort of combinatorial explosion, uh, we can really solve that complexity for them. So um, I do think uh, outside of the M&A angle of this question, I think uh, it is something that's impacting a roadmap and something that I think um, I think we're really delivering on for our customers who have to deal with this complexity themselves. Yeah, and to, and to your point, I guess, on the marketing angle of, of privacy, do you find more customers are coming back to you as an advisor and saying, help us deal with this because it's too confusing for us to kind of manage on our own? Is, is that helping, I guess, the marketing cloud unto itself in terms of you all taking on some of the complexity of being thrown at, frankly, your customers by, by regulatory agencies? Absolutely. I think that, you know, starting with, uh, you know, uh, GDPR and then CCPA in California, and then I think just uh, kind of sort of a balkanization of, you know, privacy regulations around the globe. Uh, it is just a, a huge issue for our customers. You saw the recent changes to iOS that changed a lot of usage of things like uh, third party cookies. Um, I think it's really, uh, we're really trying to build privacy into our platform as a core capability so that our customers can, uh, you know, not be on their heels when responding to these changes. And I think it's really important. It's also, you know, just at our, uh, connections conference, which happened last week, we announced our customer data platform for our marketing cloud and really oriented around, you know, marketers getting more value from their first party data. So it's a very privacy forward product and one of the fastest growing parts of our marketing cloud portfolio for that reason. That's great. Well, we're about up at, at time, so I'll probably leave it there. Brett, uh, thanks very much for joining us. I know you have a ton going on, so I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Uh, for those of you that joined us, uh, please follow up with Evan or anybody at the team at Salesforce for any follow-up questions. And uh, everyone take care and hope to see you all soon. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Kirk.